0: Right, good morning, grab your Bibles. You know how this works. We're jumping back in. We're in second Corinthians. We're in chapter ten now uh coming coming to the back end here. home stretch will be done pretty soon uh if you've been tracking with us through it, this is about the twentieth I think teaching through this so this is not as I say every week. this is not the uh this is not church. This is just me preaching through the word unpacking it right now come come hang out with us. Tonight, we'd love for you to be here. Um, that's church for us when we gather together and spend time, uh, discussing the word and, uh, praying together, munching on some food and some stuff. So it's just a great time. Love for you to come. If you want to know how to find us. You can hit us up online through social media, through, um, the website. There's multiple ways to find us. We'd be happy for you to come. You can email us. We'll tell you how to find us. We're in Tempe, Arizona. And uh, anywhere in the East Valley, I don't care where you're coming from, we want you to come hang out. So uh, go ahead and give you a heads up for those of you who are members and, and come uh, September 5th, which is about three weeks away. We'll give you a couple of reminders. We have a, a business meeting on that day. Just talk about where things are with the church and how things are going. And then also that night we'll do an upper room, which is basically what we call Lord's Supper. So if you've been part of that, you understand why. That's Labor Day weekend. So I'll give you the reminder when we get a little bit closer. But go ahead and put it uh, on your calendar now. So let's get into the word. Cross-shaped life, that's what we've been working through. We talked uh, about every week how our theme from this, for this is 1 Corinthians 2.2, which even though we're in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2.2, Paul said, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So today, keeping this moving along, we're going to look at when... Uh, it's war. Looking at the fact that that you are in a war. That there is a war going on and that sometimes that war is really in your face. It ever occurred to you that the cross-shaped life means that? That it means war? I, I know we want to jump to the, you know, the war was won on the cross. Well, yes, the war was won on the cross and the victory uh, certainly is secure for those who belong to Jesus, but the certainty of victory hasn't stopped the spiritual fight. Does that make sense what I'm saying there? Our cross-shaped life, it aligns us with the trophy of victory, which is the cross. That makes us a target. It also aligns us with the king who won our victory upon it. That also makes us a target. So, that means spiritual warfare will come to our house. just need to know it. It will come to our house if we live a cross-shaped life, if we live by the cross. It can come through those we love. It can come through those who despise us, even through those who claim to be holy or Christians and yet still attack us. Uh, those things can all happen. So let's jump in here. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, I'll read a couple of verses as always, and then we'll swell out and catch a couple around it. But verse 3 is where I'm going to jump in. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your amazing, awesome word. It is your word, not mine. Uh, and as is the topic today, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would preach your word in a way that I learn to. Um, I'm here to be a student as well as one who who whose mouth is open. But I hope that my mouth is open in such a way that your spirit comes out, your word comes out, your truth comes out, and you get glory. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, I remember move my glasses. You know how that works. I remember, uh, when I was called into full-time ministry years ago, excuse me, at the time I was doing music and I was in a band, played, played guitar and stuff. And I wanted a fight. Uh, I wanted a war. I was on fire for God. Uh, I was very edgy. Obviously I wanted to be out in the streets. I wanted to be winning people for Jesus. I wanted the war. I prayed and I asked God, I recall this very clear. I prayed and asked God several times. I want the front lines. I want the front lines. That was my language. Um, thinking, foolishly then, that that was a big stage in an arena <laughs> or arenas, you know, alongside famous evangelists and musicians that packed the thing full so that I could be part of, you know, being on that front line to win all of these people to to Jesus. But, That's not where the front lines are. It's not. And God has since taken me to some front line battlefields, and that's how I know. Places where being Christians against the law. Places where it's a life and death decision, much like Afghanistan is being recognized for right now. Afghanistan would be a front line right now, for sure. Be careful when you ask for that. I remember... When we recognized that we were called to plan a church and uh we started wrestling with what does that mean, what what all what all's involved in that and and, and all these kinda of things and I was looking down some resources and I found a textbook by JD Payne, it was given to me and it's about four hundred and something pages, I read all of it, but the very first page, the very first page, he said Church planning is frontline spiritual warfare. There's my answered prayer. Frontline spiritual warfare, church planting is, according to J.D. Payne. Well, what does that mean for me now? Now I got respect for that statement. So, what does that mean for me? What What should I expect in regards to that? So that's kind of where we are tonight today. We're we're in a spiritual war. We are. We're surrounded by people who do not believe as we believe, uh, who seek their own motives, and at times they attack us personally. But, but. In Christ, we have complete confidence that his Holy Spirit equips us. He is within us, and he equips us with a battle plan. So that's what I'm going to look at here in this text, a battle plan. Four steps here. Know your place, know your weapons, know your battlefield, and then know your moves and your plan of attack. All right, so, excuse me, know your place. Verse 1, backing up to chapter 10, verse 1. I, Paul, myself, me, Paul, myself, entreat you or urge or implore you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's saying, I, Paul, myself, I know who I am. I know my place. I am Paul. I know who I am. I know my place here. And he's using Christ's meekness and gentleness. So he's kind of calling on Christ's authority. He's acting with what belongs to Christ. Christ's meekness, Christ's gentleness. I'm not going to unpack those two words too much. You kind of get the gist of what they mean. He's saying his identity is in Christ and he's using those two words to say, I'm imploring you, I'm imploring you to respond to this approach first. I know who I am I know where I'm at I'm imploring you to respond to this approach first look what he says in verse 1 he goes on and he says I who am humble when face to face with you but bold towards you when I'm away now that's sarcasm Paul is full of it and as we look across the next few weeks you're gonna see a lot more of it but Paul is uh, uses sarcasm a lot and here it's like he's saying yeah I'm the Paul uh, me I me myself I'm the Paul that some of you say talks a mean talk when he's behind a pen and a parchment, but uh, he won't come here he'd never come here and be so bold he wouldn't come say that to our face that's kind of what he's getting at with what he's saying here He's using sarcasm, and that shows his confidence paul paul's confidence in his position. he knows who he is he's confident in who he is. He's certain of the authority that he stands on to the point that he's being a smart mouth here. He's being sarcastic with them. Verse two, he says, "I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh." So, what kind of strong talk is Paul using here? Look at this man you know i i count on showing some boldness here i mean it, that's heavy so you better believe that if you don't handle these people you're gonna see what boldness looks like all up in your face dave language you know paul spent a year and a half in corinth think about what that looks like as a church planner paul went there uh knowing no one maybe with a small group of two or three people we don't know i don't know how many but he went there with a small group um and he began to work got a job started working started meeting people Started trying to help provide needs and get to know people, sharing the gospel wherever he could, facing rejection for certain, facing mockery, facing struggle, but as his connections grew, people came to faith, and then Paul and his companions disciple those people and then begin to unite those people into a church, and Paul entrusts them with making disciples and growing that church, And then he leaves to go carry the gospel to other places and begin again. All right. But after he's gone, people acting as apostles now are challenging Paul's words. They're accusing him of seeking his own self-satisfaction through what he's been doing. That's what acting in the flesh means, like wanting to make themselves happy. And notice Paul implores them here. He's not begging for their trust. He's imploring or urging them that you better deal with this problem. You better deal with this problem. Don't make me come up there and deal with this. You know what the truth is, so honor it and do something about it. Deal with them. How can Paul be so confident? How can he be so confident approaching these false apostles so boldly as he's doing? Even to use the language of waging war, which we're about to get to. I mean, waging war on them. It's because Paul knows his place is in Christ. He knows his authority and he knows the spirit that is inside of him and the spirit that is inside of them. And the battle is spiritual. That's huge. So know your place and then know your weapons. Look in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, because the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. First, let's, let's just check it back here. You better acknowledge that there's a war going on. N- number one, first of all, too many Christians today think that living a Christian life means we're on the high road home, headed to heaven. All of the songs we sing in church are about that glorious day, uh, you know, in, in the sky when the gates open and what, whatever. The fast track to paradise. That's what we are on as Christians. I don't mean to make light of heaven. I'm just saying. Or, or we're on, a, like, becoming a Christian is taking a cruise on calm seas all of a sudden, regardless of if the world's burning or not. That's not true. And the Bible contradicts that line of thought repeatedly. We're not on a cruise, we're on a battleship, if anything, and we're not just doing maneuvers and training and practice in the open water. No, no, no. It's more like we're in the Pacific during World War II, surrounded by enemy ships that are firing rockets and planes that are dropping bombs and subs that are coming up beneath us that we don't even see half the time. That's more accurate. We're expected to face real enemies, guys, real enemies. People and angels. It's in there. To expect attack, to face strong defenses, you know, we're expected to face suffering. Even to accept death with the bold conviction that when we do, that's when we're most like our king. Think about that for a minute. Even to face death, knowing that we are most like our king when we do. Paul says, we may be human men here, but the battle is anything but material. He's talking about the flesh here. You know, we might be in the flesh. We might be humans, but the battle here is anything but material. So height and weight, no power whatsoever. Uh, Fists, they're worthless. Money, I don't care how much, can't buy you a victory. Uh education won't win it for you. E- you know, even the sword, even prison, even death, none of those things can give you victory. Those weapons are powerless because the battle is spiritual. The battle is spiritual. So what are the weapons then? If the battle is spiritual, then what are the weapons? Well, arguably there could be several that people might come up with, but I believe it's the two that lead to salvation, the word of God and the spirit of God. That's where I think in the most basic sense, it's the word of God and the spirit of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints, of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart there you go that would be in the mind no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom uh to whom we must give an account that the power of the word to see into who you are at the deepest point that would definitely put you on a spiritual plane of warfare uh ephesians six seventeen. just a piece of it when he's describing the uh armor of god he says the sword of the spirit which is the word of god notice the sword is of the spirit capital s holy spirit it is the word of god so when we know and stand on the truth of god's word when we know god's word it's in us we're standing on it divine power responds the holy spirit moves Jesus told his disciples not to worry about what they would say when they came under attack in the days after he was gone because he said the Holy Spirit would give them the words in those moments. Peter, after the resurrection, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches God's word loud and proud on the streets of Jerusalem where just not, not many days before that, Jesus was murdered and he was denying him in fear. But also remember, don't attack, by the way, really quick, without the sword. Let me just bring this up. Don't attack without the sword. In other words, you better have equipped yourself first. You better have it in there if you're expecting the Holy Spirit to pull it out and wield it for you. It's not just going to give you all knowledge of the Bible if you don't ever open it. And, and you got your own struggles with sin. You better face your own battles in your own mind as well. And that comes from... Pouring the word into you. A couple of verses. Psalm 119.11. I've stored up your word in my heart. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 101.3 says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I love these verses. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. That's a great chunk to memorize right there. That's a good approach to tell your mind. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It won't cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I'll know nothing of evil. Um, So, know your place. Know your weapons. Know your battlefield. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought captive to obey Christ. The war that Paul's addressing, it's not about his own inner struggles here with sin. It's not even primarily about angelic warfare, you know, in spiritual realms. It's about others who are challenging his spiritual authority, challenging his spiritual voice, so to speak. And the battlefield's not the place of angels. It's not somebody's backyard. It's not some UFC cage somewhere. (laughs) It's the mind. Do you see that? That's what he's saying. The battlefield is the mind. Uh, I saw Ghost Adventurers, Ghost Hunters, one of those ghost shows years ago. And uh, they were in New Orleans, and they were sitting in the home, this old, old, old home, with this kind of really creepy-looking guy that uh, was like some kind of voodoo priest that could read minds. And they set up a camera and, you know, you got the, the one guy sitting there in a chair and the other guy sitting in a chair. So they're facing each other, the ghost hunter and the, the dude, and they have a camera off to the side that is like one of those heat sensitive cameras. And I guess they think they're going to catch a ghost on it or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, it was kind of fascinating because what that heat signature picked up was the the guy would ask a question to the ghost hunter dude, and you would see this heat come up off of him, go across the room, and this heat signature would kind of drop on the head uh, and shoulders of the ghost hunter guy and then come back onto the other guy, and then he'd give an answer. Now, you can make what you want to make of that, but that's some trippy, weird stuff. It's not physical The battlefield is the mind. The battlefield matters. I often encourage people when they're sharing their faith, look, get into the word as fast as you can. Get into the Bible as quickly as you can. Let that be the common ground. Why? Because the battleground matters. If both parties are standing on that, then they're going to be battling with God's word, not yours. The battlefield becomes God's word, not yours. <clears throat> excuse me battle's been there actually around God's word from the start and it still is Satan's desire is to keep God's word from penetrating your heart and your mind from following, from finding a solid place in your mind you know in Eden think back on it you can go back and read the story in Genesis 3 but in, or 1, 2, and 3 but in Eden uh, back with Adam and Eve in there The fruit that they ate, they weren't after it because of the size, because of the smell, because of the perceived taste, because of the shape, because of the color, because of any of those things. That's not what they went after it for. How do I know that? Well, because the fruit had been there. It had been there for who knows how long, and it was in the center of the garden. It's not like they hadn't seen it before. And I know the word says that she saw that it was desirable and those kind of things, but that was after, after... She'd been in this conversation with the enemy. The attack on her mind had already occurred. Adam, too, he was standing right there. All right, he was standing right there. She hands it to him, so he's standing right there. Even the fact that she analyzed its appearance and then judged that it, differently than she judged in the past—yeah, it does look good. It does look great. It does look whatever. Well, she'd seen it before, I'm sure. So now, all of a sudden, she's judging it differently. i proves something's gone on in her mind. It proves there was a battle in her mind, and it's been lost to the enemy, and now she's going to eat it, and so is he, standing right there. Satan's ultimate victory there is to convince their minds that God's word is not good, that God is not good, that he's hiding things, that he's a liar, that he's withholding truth from you, that he knows more about you than you know, and that's not fair to you, that Uh, God's word is not trustworthy. Doubt, they doubt Him. They begin to doubt Him. And and maybe they even begin to ask, do I really know Him at all? Do I really know Him at all? And that's the language Paul uses here, the not, which raised against the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God, knowing God, who He really is. That's a declaration of war, saying Jesus Spiritually speaking, is a declaration of war. That's where front lines form, around his name. Around his name. John seventeen three, Jesus said himself, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus, the Messiah whom you sent. John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free if you abide in my word. Paul says they demolish strongholds. It's a place where people were held captive, like a castle. That's what the stronghold is. kind of like a dungeon in a castle kind of thing. And he's using it metaphorically, obviously, and he's talking about a mental state where someone's being held captive to the teaching, false teachings of others, or to like a sinful, uh, lifestyle or sinful decision making sounds kind of like addictions in a sense i i uh many of you know if you don't and you know now but i struggled with drugs for a long long time in my younger years and i'm free now i've been free for a couple of uh decades but i have to remain even though it's been that long in a state of warfare against it i have to remain in a constant battle uh, not that I'm always afraid of it, but I have to be on the offense with it. It has to be a war for me. There's no neutral. There's no sitting back and saying, okay, I'm good now. I'm not going to sweat it anymore. That's not the case. Uh, I have to remain that way. There's freedom. There's victory. But it's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing battle. Paul said we wage war. Not that we waged war. See that? He said we take captive, not that we took captive. He says we, he speaks of every thought that is raised against us, not that was raised against us. Knowing Jesus, the truth, it will set you free. But don't skip that first part. That's if you live in his word, living in his word is a battle in itself it's a commitment to stay focused to stay on war on 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 a offensive plane of being in his word here paul goes on to say that the strong, that, that those strongholds that are in corinth he calls them arguments and lofty opinions. i mean arguments you know what that is but it's basically forcing your your um, ideas against somebody else's uh, uh your position I guess on something against somebody else. Lofty opinion is like an idea that you have that you exalt or you raise up to a, to a high place. Maybe you call it holy. Maybe you call it scripture. You know, you, you raise it up. God told me this. And so now it's, it's gotta be the truth, you know, but it's just your, it's just your thoughts. It's just your ideas. Remember this is Greece, right? Where they're at. All kinds of philosophies and gods going on there. In fact, public arguments was the reality TV of the day. Everybody loved it. So, Paul is throwing down a challenge here. And he's saying, destroy. I will destroy your arguments. I will destroy your opinions. Destroy means to bring to nothing. Nothing. To flatten completely Tear down the wall, flatten it out. This is a full on threat, Paul's making. It's a full on threat. It is to destroy, he says, and he says, all, 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 all lofty opinions, all arguments raised against the knowledge of christ all of them there's no compromise there's no okay well this one probably makes a little bit of sense there's no well you know what that's what it meant then but let's adjust it for the times or let's bring it into our well let's interpret it no 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 all ideas all opinions all arguments against god's word are destroyed paul says destroyed and a further threat there he says we take captives Look at that! We take captives, he says. What does that mean? Well, it means that they rob the stronghold of one, and then take them captive to another. They're robbing the stronghold of one one captor, uh, captive. Is that right? (laughs) One who's holding them captive, and taking them to be captive to another. In other words, they're taking them to be to the knowledge and obedience of Christ that's so what he's coming to man you ever think about that you're not just battling you're not just sharing the truth here you're empowering the holy spirit within you to use the word of god that's within you for the purpose of destroying the prison the spiritual forces have put around the one you are talking to and with the end goal of taking their heart captive to Christ, you know, so that their mind is no longer full of ideas and human wisdom, but is now captive to the will of Jesus. And there's great freedom in that, great freedom in that. So know your place, know your weapons, know your battlefield, and then know your move. Know the plan you got, know it. Verse 6, just, just this last few words. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now that's some harsh talk, but he has been pretty harsh the whole time. Uh, punish though here is not necessarily about, uh, you know, dis- discipline in, in, in a, straight out sense it can mean to seek justice on somebody's behalf to avenge and i think that's more of what paul is intending here paul's saying that he'll come and he'll defend them fully he will come and he will avenge uh on their behalf he will defend them fully when they're committed fully to what he's already given them which is christ himself the gospel you know, Paul knew his position as having authority in Christ. Paul knew that. Paul knew his weapons, God's Word, God's Spirit, and those were within, him, and they were within him. He knew the battle was spiritual. He knew that. It was in the hearts and minds of all those involved, and he knew what his next move needed to be. He knew it. Uh, One commentary says his approach to this particular confrontation in Corinth was twofold. First, it was necessary that the Corinthian church express their subjection to Christ by demonstrating loyalty to Paul, who was Christ's representative. And in this way, their obedience would be complete. And second, Paul would deal directly with the false apostles, knowing that the church supported him. So that's his, that, that's the plan. He needs the church to support him fully to, to, uh, their obedience would be complete. Their obedience to Christ, their support of him and faithfulness to the Lord would be complete. And then in doing that, he would avenge, he would, uh, what did say, punish disobedience on the other, on behalf of the others. So the result, Paul would, what would be the results? Paul, what, what would be the results of that move? Well, he would encourage the church, right? I mean, I'm, these are just observations I'm pulling out of this, but I would think it would be encouraged into the church. They're being protected. They're receiving, you know, guidance and, and, uh, Paul's, you know, coming to their defense in a sense here. It would show that false teaching's not okay. It's not okay. It's not to be tolerated. It's not okay. It would expel sin from the church. It would display with certainty what a follower a disciple of christ should look like somebody who is certain about what they believe somebody who is certain about who christ is to the point that they would wage war uh it would show what a defender of the faith looks like this is what it looks like to defend the faith you know the circumstances might be different for us no doubt the principle is the same our position is in christ just like paul's was our weapons are the same the, we have the same spirit the same word you know the battleground is still in the mind is still the same and our moves our plan might look different depending on the circumstances but we should desire the same outcomes you know so what do we do with this how do we respond uh, how do we recognize where that war is for us and and what do we do about it well Maybe you're saying, you know, I know there's a war. You don't have to tell me there's a war. This president we got's ruining everything. Or thank God the other president's gone before we had a crazy war, you know. Or maybe you're thinking if everybody just understand that they need this vaccine, I know there's a war. If we just get this vaccine up, people, you know, the COVID thing would be gone. Or, yeah, I know it's a war. How long are we going to let people flow into the country through our borders and take our jobs? and You know not playing that down but maybe for you it's a little more real than that kind of thing maybe the war is a little more real than that maybe it's more like my house is a battlefield my husband won't talk to me doesn't talk to me my kids hate being at home maybe the war is your job my job is a is a battlefield all the time Uh, my boss hates me obviously they're out to get me and i really hate the job anyway Maybe it's, I've been a prisoner of drugs and alcohol for years, and I don't know how to get free. I can't. I'm in a stronghold. I'm chained down. Or maybe it's somebody you love. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's them. Maybe it's, you know, look, my mom's been abused by the man she's married to for years. I don't know what to do. Or maybe it's my son ran away angry and uh, we we haven't spoken in a long time. I don't know where he is. I know he hates me. Maybe it's my sister's addicted to cocaine and won't accept help. You know, I could keep going and going, but what do, we, what do we do? Same thing Paul did. We know who we are in Christ. Remind yourself. If you don't know Christ, it's a starting place. But if you are in Christ, remind yourself remember your place is in him and that means you need to know him you need to know him it's not some mantra you say it's an action of knowing him well how does that happen know his word number one know your position know you're in him number two you need to know your weapons know his word and be filled with his holy spirit we, we too too often we want that whole yep yeah, fill me up with the holy spirit and just make everything better That's not the way it works. You need to know his word and you can't just hold it to your head and expect it to absorb. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to memorize it. That's what Jesus said. If you abide in my word, you will be my disciple and know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's where it comes from. Abiding in his word, living in his word and his Holy Spirit will become powerful in your life. And then number three, act boldly. When those things are in place, when you are in Christ and you know where your place is in Christ and you you have the weapons of his word and his Holy Spirit powerfully within you, then act boldly. Don't be ashamed. Don't sneak around. Don't cower. Don't worry. Act boldly in your own life to deal with your own sins and issues and for the sake of others. And look, now, if you're you know, if you're not a believer, if you've never given your life to Christ, maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, I don't know, what what kind of war are you talking about? I didn't know there's a war. Um, Maybe maybe that's news to you. Maybe the fact that you're part of it is news to you, but you are. I want you to know now that what makes the gospel good news, that's what gospel means, good news, what makes it good news is that that war has been settled. Christ has already conquered sin and death. And those are the two greatest enemies you will ever have. And Christ has already conquered them. That's what the cross is about. That's what the resurrection is about. He conquered sin on the cross for you. He conquered death by coming out of that grave three days later for you. That's the good news. That's already happened. And today, though, his word may be telling you if your faith is not in Him, if you don't belong to Him, you're standing with His enemy. That's what His Word says. Jesus said, "You're either for Me or against Me, whether you realize it or not." The evidence of that is sin. Yet, you, you know, the sin in your life. The proof of sin in your life is death. You know, but today you can accept His victory by faith. Today you can become free. Today you can know the truth. Today you can learn how to, or take the first steps to living in his word, to seeing those strongholds uh, come down, to being pulled from that and given to another. To being taken from the drugs, taken from the depression, taken from the sorrow, taken from the anger, taken from the hate, and belonging to God who is love. To Jesus who gave his whole life for you. I'm trusting the day that if that's where you're at, you're going to say it. Tell him right now, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Say it. I confess it. I know I'm a sinner. I know that's where my struggle is. I'm done with it. I give you my life. Give me your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. And if that's you today, hit us up and let us know. We want to walk with you through it. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word, as always. It is so awesome. I know I say that nearly every time we come to a close, but that's because it's the truth. Uh, I pray today, Lord, if anybody has, uh, life's been changed or they've been moved into your kingdom, taken from a stronghold and moved into your kingdom today, God, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Guide their steps. And yes, Lord, lead them to speak to us that we can help them learn what it means to be a disciple. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.